Hey everyone, welcome to Kellen's Petty Talk Show with your host, Kellen. This episode of Pettiness is sponsored by Pie Bake Shop. Delicious pies crafted in the heart of Los Angeles and delivered right fresh to your door. Just call 818-986-1441. That's 818-986-1441. Or follow them on Instagram at Pie Bake Shop. That's P-I Bake Shop. We're here today to have a conversation with the one and only Tom McLaughlin, director of Friday the 13th Part 6, Jason Lives, and One Dark Night, amongst many others. He's also the front man of the rock band, The Flock. Joining me in the discussion today is... What's up, guys? I'm Ed Gage. Tone and I have been friends for many years, and we've also been huge fans of horror cinema, and I'm really excited to be a part of this podcast. So, yeah. So, how you doing, Tommy? I'm doing great, man. You know, good to how be on been, here with you guys. How have you been during this crazy time we're living in? You staying safe? You know, it's like... Um, Every morning I wake up and I feel like I'm in some David Lynch movie. Um, you know, everything is just so <laughs> freaking surreal, you know? It's like, uh, you know, I look at the paper and I go, no, this is just like something that you make up for a movie. And, you you know, you're looking at every article and it's all about, you know, doom and gloom and stuff. So it's the whole thing of trying to stay positive um, through it all and, uh, you know, finding ways to keep myself entertained, you know, writing stuff or obviously watching a lot of films. So it's, you know, yeah, yeah. It's certainly a good respite. Definitely. Have you been watching any good films in quarantine? I've seen a lot of, you know, I've been watching, checking out a lot of the stuff on uh, Netflix and, and uh, Amazon Prime and stuff, stuff that I wouldn't normally be checking out. Um, yeah, obviously, sure. you know, I, I had to see Tiger King because everybody was you know, hilarious. That out. And that's I like love a, it. That's, <laughs> yeah, great, great train wreck. Uh, but I was, yeah, really, I, I was really impressed with how they made that documentary that they were there so long and all these incredible events transpired, you know, in that time period when they had cameras there. So it's, uh, you know, one of those things where if you make a film and you're doing something like that, you know, you, you want to hang in as long as possible to get as many, you know, twists to the story as they certainly got. Oh, yeah. That uh, show was nuts. <laughs> you didn't even see it yet, right? No, I, I've seen like bits and parts of it. Uh, like, Kellen would be just watching it, and then I would sit down for like a few minutes and watch it, and I'd be like, this is pretty bizarre. I, I, didn't, I couldn't believe the, the one husband killed himself. Yeah, yeah I know. That caught me by surprise. It was just like, wow. Came out of nowhere. But yeah, and Kellen, I, I didn't see it yet, but Kellen mentioned uh, there was like a video clip of a, one of the people in the documentary. Got, she got like her arm bit off? Yeah, that was. I think that was the first episode. It was like, literally, that was your introduction to the show. It's somebody getting their arm, their, their limbs torn mm-hmm. right off the body. Yeah, it's weird. All those oh, people are going to become superstars now in the media, you know, for this. this oh, yeah. Crazy thing. They'll be yeah. out. They'll be joining you at conventions anytime soon. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. It's going to happen. All right. Well, let's just jump right into it then. Uh, you want to ask them a question? Start yeah. it off? So uh, how did you uh, land uh, the job with uh, directing uh, Friday the 13th Part 6? I know you wrote it as well, but yeah. Um, well, yeah, that was that's actually kind of something that occurred because of uh, my first feature, One Dark Night. Um, that movie ended up getting over to Paramount um, for a film they were looking for a director for uh, called uh, April Fool's Day. And the mm-hmm. producers saw the film and they were, you know, in trouble with the previous Friday the 13th uh, Part 5 because it wasn't Jason who was the killer and it turned out, you know, to be somebody impersonating Jason. So the fans were pretty pissed off 
And normally it's like two years between Friday the 13th and they decided they wanted to go into production after a year and get somebody on. And they, you know, Frank Mancuso Jr. saw my film One Dark Night and thought, well, this guy's kind of interesting. Let's see, you know, what he might have to say about it. So they got a hold of me and I came in for a meeting and I'd only seen the very first Friday the 13th. You know, they didn't even have Jason in it till the very end, you know, as a boy. So um, I said, look, let me let me look at all the of all the films up to this point, and see if there's something I can do with it. So I sat in the screening room at Paramount and watched them all back to back and uh, <laughs> ended up kind of liking part four of the best of, of, the, oh, of yeah. all of them. And, um, you know, I gave it a lot of thought and, and said, you know, I would love to have a sense of humor about this. And Frank was like, well, you mean like make fun of Jason? I said, no, no, no. I just want the characters to have a sense of humor. And I want somehow to let people know that we're having fun with this thing, that it's, we're not taking it, you know, ultra seriously. And he said, well, let me see what you come up with. So I uh, literally went next door to Paramount, which is the Hollywood Forever Cemetery. And that's where I'd shot One Dark Night. And I sat out there and started writing the treatment for the, for the movie, just the, you know, I guess it was about, I don't know, 30, 40 pages of the whole story and sent that in. And, you know, he loved it and said, uh, you know, there's only one thing I want to change. And I said, what's that? And he said, at the end, you're introducing Jason's father. And we don't want the audience to think that, you know, part seven is going to be about Jason's father, you know, because right now we just got to let people know Jason is, is back, you know, from the dead and it's going to stay back and in the forefront. So, yeah, it's the only thing I ended up removing. But, you know, I had pretty much carte blanche through the whole production. I mean, he was really supportive of all, you know, the different ideas that I, you know, came up with. And uh, I went to script. Uh, right away and we started casting you know from paramount and looking for locations somewhere in the south when we ended up in uh, georgia and um you know the thing just kind of was off and running and it for me it was a, a real departure from the kind of horror movies that i normally um you know drawn to you know the more gothic horror movies but i tried to put those elements into this so that it had a different feeling than all the other ones and I'm shocked more than anybody else that after 36 years it's been, I guess now, 37, I don't know, you know, there's still like, you know, incredible amount of fans uh, that just love that film and a lot of people just discovering it for the first time. So I didn't think, you know, this thing would be popular for any more than like three weeks when the audience saw it and that would be the end of it. Um, but here we are, you know, decades later, and you know, it's still, you know, still got its power, which is amazing. It's honestly crazy because most people that I meet say that Part Six is their favorite. I yeah, I'm so complimented by that, and you know, appreciative. It's, I, I thought after I finished it that the fans might not like that I was having, you know, a lot of comedy in it. Um, but it was the absolute opposite. You know, I think they loved that there was comedy, there was action, you know, car chase, underwater fight, children for the first time put in there as, as you know, possible yeah. victims. So I kind of threw everything that I could think of into it. So it was much more of a movie movie than just a, you know, a, a, a slasher movie. That's usually how it works. I mean, they usually have to start making fun of it before other people make fun of it. So they, they got to they gotta put in the comedy, you know what I mean? 
Well, the yeah. one thing I also notice is it's also the first movie Jason ever gets shot at with a gun as well. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, yeah, because he never was before. I didn't know that. Yeah, I didn't I even didn't know, know that. I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> yeah, I noticed that too. So that was like definitely another step in another direction. So, like, uh, so what made you, uh, one thing I want to know is, like, what made you come up with the transition of uh, Jason becoming from, like, a man with superhuman strength into, like, this super killing machine zombie? Well, it's interesting because when I was given the instructions to bring Jason back from the dead, being a universal horror fan and, you know, a huge Frankenstein fan, I thought, well, the only thing in horror movie logic is that you can reanimate a dead body with, uh, you know, a lightning bolt, you know, pure electricity that would uh, bring him, you know, back into uh, a walking, moving, killing creature. Um, I never, ever thought of the term zombie because in my mind, you know, zombies were, you know, the dead that come to life through some sort of virus or, you know, something that, sure. that George Romero was doing. And of course they eat people. None of this was sure. what you know, Jason was going to do. So I just kind of looked at him as kind of a, a reanimated, uh, in a funny way, like a Terminator type, you know, unstoppable, uh, but he's not machine. He's just pure energy from that, from the electricity and on, you know, unkillable, uh, no matter what you do, he just keeps on coming. So I had a, you know, very fortunate thing of having CJ Graham playing him and, uh, you know, CJ was a Marine. So he was very militaristic in his moves and stuff, which I really kind of capitalized on that, uh, you know, he moved as like a, a, a force and the way his head would turn and things. I mean, all the stuff that I directed him to do, he pulled off incredibly well. So, you know, it had much more of, you know, just like he's undead, uh, less than, you know, what I what I consider a zombie. Is it true? Like, I, I did hear some rumors. Was, did, did somebody, like, fill in for the role of Jason temporarily or something like that before CJ came in? Yeah, well, it wasn't, he was supposed to actually do the part, and he did um, for the first... A uh, couple days, uh, he was a stuntman named uh, Dan Bradley, and you know he's one of the top stuntmen in, in the uh, business. And he's gone on since that time to become the, the premier action second unit director. He does all the stuff for the Bourne Identity movies and the uh, James Bond movies and stuff. I mean, he, he's incredible with you know the car chases and elaborate stunts. But he came in and he, you know, we were looking for somebody who was a stuntman to play Jason and could also be the stunt coordinator. So, you know, it was a way to save money by having one guy do two different jobs. But after I started shooting with him, which was the daytime stuff with the paintballers, um, the dailies went to Paramount in L.A. and they came back with, we don't like the way he looks and we don't like the way he moves. And... I was like, well, this is, you know, this is the guy. I don't know what to say. And he said, well, we're, we're taking one of, you know, the other choices and sending him out to you. And I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, you know, what's going to happen with Jan, uh, with uh, Dan? And they said, you know, don't worry, we'll, we'll take care of it. So, I mean, to this day, I've never had a chance to say, gee, I'm so sorry this occurred. I mean, I wrote him a letter and, you know, suddenly he was just like off the picture. And, um, CJ came in and then we kind of continued on where we left off with the daytime stuff and, uh, you know, at the very end of that sequence. And a lot of the stuff then from then on became just, you know, CJ 
through the rest of the movie. And we were, what was the scene with Dan then that we, we saw yesterday when we watched it? Is the scene with Dan like part of the paintball scenes, which are the day scenes? Yeah, right? Yeah, you know, the stuff with, uh, you know, as he kind of stalks through the, the forest and the scene where uh, the nerdy guy, uh, Roy, shoots him in the chest with the paintball and he looks up. I mean, that's all Dan, you know, all that. And the uh, triple decapitation that happens with the other paintballers, that's all Dan. So, you know, he's in the, he's in there through that whole thing. And then it had switched to CJ, uh, I think once we did the thing where he tore the arm off of the macho guy and uh, lifted it up <laughs> yeah. in the frame. Yeah, I just like, I always, like we always, but like, I remember we talked about like the smiley face. It's like, what, that just happens to be there? I'm yeah. Like, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Why not? Yeah. Part six, we make the rule. <laughs> exactly. Yep, exactly. So what are your thoughts on the Friday films that follow? You know, um, I thought they, every one of them had something, you know, I really liked in them. I, you know, I like that happens with a lot of things with franchises. You start to just start to run out of ideas. Um, so you've got to start introducing more and more unusual uh, devices, you know, to, to try to pull the audience in. So obviously, you know, we had, you know, Jason meeting Carrie, you know, with part uh, seven and, uh, I love Lars Park Lincoln. She did a great job with it and there were some great things in it. Um, you know, very different than obviously what I did. And then, uh, you know, Jason takes Manhattan, you know, another, you know, more of a concept. Um, and unfortunately for a lot of people, they were upset that they didn't spend more time in Manhattan, but it turned out that was cost prohibitive. So it was like, you know, Jason on a yacht for most of the time, you know, in that. Um, and then, you know, as it went on, you know, it was, you know, Jason goes to hell, Jason goes into outer space. I mean, you know, it just got more and more kind of away from, you know, the basics. Um, and just recently, you know, less than a year ago, I finally, after 30 something years, decided to write um, kind of a sequel to mine, which we go back into the forest again, back, you know, to the Crystal Lake area, except it's going to take place in the winter. So it's all snow and, you know, oh, blood, blood in the snow and, you know, all female cast um, that are facing Jason. None of them have ever heard of this guy, Jason, because they're from another state, uh, you know, where they're staying at this place. And it's not a camp, but something a little different, uh, which, again, is one of the things I'm sort of, you know, keeping secret till the script comes out. But, you know, I felt like when you do one of these things, you want to go back to some of the basic rules of where it took place and what other, you know, twists that you can do to it. So, you know, I've got a lot of ideas that I kind of thought, well, this would be cool. And it's still kind of keeping in the in the classic rules of the franchise. Is that working title for that one still, Jason Never Dies? Yes, Jason Never Dies. Now, you jokingly stated a while back that you wanted to make a Jason versus Cheech and Chong movie. Is that true? That's true, yeah. <laughs> um, now that's yeah. <laughs> when, we, uh, when we finished and, um, you know, the movie started showing and it was getting, you know, such a great response from the, from the audience, um, Frank said, hey, how would you like to do part seven? And I said, you know, I don't know what I would do. To be honest, I, I, I put everything I could think of in part six. Um, I really would have to think about it. And he goes, well, what do you think of the idea of Jason versus Freddie? And I said, wow, you know, like 
Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. That would be, you know, interesting. I don't know what I would do with it yet, but how can you even do it with, you know, Freddie's owned by New Line? And he said, well, we're working on the negotiations to see what we could kind of work out with them. Well, it turned out, it, you know, the negotiations fell apart. New Line didn't want to, you know, let go of Freddie and they were not going to, I guess, do the deal that New Line wanted. So um, he came to me and he said, you know, would you still want to do something? And I said, well, you guys own Cheech and Chong, right? With Paramount. And he goes, yeah, why? And I go, what about Cheech and Chong meet Jason? Like Frank, you know, like Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. And he laughed and he said, that's a very funny idea. Uh, but my concern would be is if the Cheech and Chong audience, you know, was coming and they wanted to just see comedy, would they be turned off by the horror? And would the horror audience be turned off by all the, you know, dope comedy? And I said, I don't know. I think it's the same audience to me. It's like, you know. It's yeah, I like, feel like I feel like it, Jason would walk even slower because he'll be stoned the whole time. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I just thought it would be so, so cool that either they were, you know, out, you know, camping, you know, and getting loaded and Jason comes out um, and the, the, those exploits or that they actually get hired, you know, to, to be camp counselors and out there. And, you know, I, I just thought it could be very, very funny um, and, and still you know, maintain Jason as a killer. And it was like, no, we don't, we don't think so. So that, you know, kind of fell by the wayside, but it recently came out, you know, uh, kind of went viral, uh, you know, the news about that. And then I recently heard that Cheech and Chong are now planning on doing a horror movie of some sort. So, you know, <laughs> that would be cool. <laughs> would have been interesting to see that. <laughs> All right, we're going to take a quick break. This song is called Haunted by the Flock. Just when I thought that I was free I go 
Guys actually played um, from the music video. We had done uh, the, the couple of songs on the Amityville Murders that was uh, out just recently, and uh, so a lot of that track is from the movie. Uh, which, if you haven't seen it, you should check it out. But yeah, "Haunted" was a song that uh, we recorded for our first album, um, "Back from the Grave," and uh, with the Sloths. And it, it's like one of the ones that sort of echoes back to the old kinds of stuff that we did in the, you know, 60s, um, you know, but, you know, obviously just recorded recently. Did the Floss play a lot of shows around L.A.? Yeah, since we've been, you know, reformed, uh, which has been about, God, eight years now, uh, I think we kind of lost count after about 300 shows, uh, which was a combination of mainly, you know, things that were done, you know, that we did in Southern California, San Diego, San Francisco. And then we've done a lot of, you know, kind of mini tours, especially, you know, Texas. Uh, we've done so many things down there with South by Southwest and things. So it, it, it's amazing for a bunch of guys in their sixties, you know, <laughs> kind of reforming and getting out there and, you know, kicking ass more than we did when we were 15, 16, when the band was first formed. But that's our sort of our, our mantra is that, you know, we want to show that rock never dies. It's like Jason never dies. And, that, you know, we're going to keep keep going till, you know, they put us, you know, back in the grave. So it's, uh, yeah, it's been a great period of uh, rock and roll lives. Oh, yeah. I know. So it's true. Uh, the swaths opened for the doors back then. Right? Yeah. What? Yeah. Yeah. We I didn't know that couple of gigs with the doors um at the the hollow blue which is now i don't know what they call it it's the uh it was a nickelodeon theater i think last until now it's kind of closed down and then there's another venue out in uh, venice california called the cheetah uh that we also played with them there but yeah all the bands kind of of the sunset strip at that time uh iron butterfly um the birds uh love um bands that would come into town like the Eric Burden and the Animals. I mean, they, we were like 15, 16 year olds and I don't know how we managed to play all these places that then allowed us in. They never carded us or asked us our age, just, you know, you and the band, okay, you know, this is your set time. So we, we ended up doing a lot of just kind of amazing stuff. And at the time, 
we had no idea, you know, like the doors are going to be, you know, legendary the way they, they turned out. Um, it was just, you know, another LA band that was up and coming. And, um, you know, obviously they were so unique with their sound. There wasn't anything like it from the, from the very beginning of their career. So it, uh, it's great after all these years when you know we bring it up and people go, "You're kidding me!" You know, it's like your doors. It's like, yeah, you know, they, yeah, they just really have become so legendary now because obviously losing Jim so so early on, you know, never know what would have happened with the band if they kept going. Right. Yeah, it's very especially with Jim. You know, he was a very irreplaceable frontman, especially for the Doors. He, like he was like. It's like he became such an icon that it's like it's really hard to replace somebody that you know made the band. Was what it yeah, was. talking with him was pretty much like he was so out of it. Um, literally every every gig that we played, you know, it was sort of like, "Hey Jim, how you doing?" Yeah, okay, you know. <laughs> so you know, and I, we saw him take a fall off stage one night uh, at the Cheetah, uh, and he came down on you know concrete. Um, from, God, the stage was probably, I don't know, 20, 25 feet high. And he tried to do a cartwheel and went right off the stage. And, but, you know, he popped right up. Nothing was broken or bleeding and went back on stage. And when the day comes tonight, I mean, just bam, right into it. So it, it's, it just goes to show the drugs and the alcohol were pretty heavy there in that boy's body. Like drugs and rock and roll. <laughs> Other, uh, so, uh, well, going back to uh, into uh, the topic of Friday the 13th, so how was Tom Matthews uh, casted for the movie? Because I know before that he did uh, Return of the Living Dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Tom, uh, well, John Shepard, who had done part uh, five, I thought initially he was going to end up reprieving, reprising the role of Tommy. Uh, but as it turned out, uh, he didn't want to do the role. Um, and I don't know if it was money that he, you know, was asking for more than they wanted to pay. Some people have also said that he got very religious and didn't want to do it for religious reasons. Um, it's hard to say, I don't know what the real truth is, but as we started to get into the, you know, the casting process, they said, you know, we got to find a new Tommy. So uh, Tom Matthews came in and I had not seen The Return of the Living Dead. All he was was an actor who came in and just really nailed the part. And, you know, I liked him. I liked, you know, his look. I liked his intensity. I liked the fact he had, a, you know, a dry sense of humor. It all just sort of worked perfectly. So he was, you know, like to me, the exact perfect choice. And it, it's great after all these years that he's still, you know, basically doing that part, you know, in these, these uh, you know, fan films that are being done, um, you know, uh, Never Hike Alone. And um, I think he did one other one too, that it's, it's just great because people, and he's in the game too, the Friday the 13th, the game, they recreated uh, the look, his look and his character in that. Yeah, I got, I got to play the Switch version of that on Nintendo Switch, that was pretty fun. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah it's, oh. it's violent, man, that's how that game Oh, it is. <laughs> freaking you just violent. go out there and you start killing all the counselors. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Kane Hodder, who did uh, Jason after, you know, after mine, you know, like, I think he did four, four of the Fridays, you know, he's, you know, got this muscular approach that's just, 
you know, when he grabs somebody and starts swacking them around, I mean, it is, it is really violent. And that's all that stuff that's in the game you could never do on screen, you know, you know unless you wanted a, you know, triple X rating, which most of the, obviously, filmmakers of and studios don't want to have a triple X. Well, with uh, the M-rated video games and all that, they have no, they don't, they're not afraid to go all out with going no. violent games. Especially no, today. I did a, I did a small part in a, a film fan called Vengeance, Friday the 13th, Vengeance. Oh, and that, that came out recently, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anybody, you guys can, you know, check it out on YouTube. With um, CJ and, too, right? Yeah, and they, uh, you know, there was just a group of people who so loved, you know, the film, uh, the films of Friday the 13th, that they just put everything they, they knew into this. And I don't know, there's like 38 you know, murders in the thing from Jason. Um, and uh, it, it's just, you know, really well done. And they kind of gave me a, a cameo at the beginning of the movie as a caretaker, um, you know, minding the graves of Jason and uh, his mother. And then we meet Jason's father. They asked me if it would be okay if, you know, they took that idea of mine about Jason's father and used it in this film. So, yeah, it, it opens with me and C.J. Graham, who was my Jason, playing Jason's father, and we do the opening scene together, you know, which uh, I found, you know, really cool to get to actually act with uh, C.J. And where can we watch that? I on YouTube. Yeah, just right uh, on YouTube? Just, it's yeah, great. Just, for, you know, for a fan film, I have to say it was tremendously well done, and I think C.J. just nailed the part of Elias for him. Yeah, the mm -hmm. first time I heard about this, I think, was I don't know, two years ago now, because about that. because my friend Peter Vulo from Buffalo, he actually screened uh, Friday the 13th Part 6, and I was actually at the screening, and he had CJ there, and CJ was just going off about this, the fan film, and he, he was almost talking about it more than his other films. Yeah. He thought it was amazing. And yeah, I, don't, I think it was just filming at that time, but or he had just filmed it. Yeah, yeah I mean, they had, they had so little money. I mean, it was all raised with, you know, fans putting money in, and then if you put in a certain amount, you could actually be in the movie and get killed by Jason. So there's a lot of people in there that are non-actors, uh, but actually oh, did a pretty good job. You know, it's, it, it just goes to show, you know, anybody can, you know, you know, play a part if they just kind of commit to the, to the moment. Uh, and oh, there are some incredibly violent kills in that as well that, you know, you couldn't get away with, you know, releasing it, you know, mainstream. Well, yeah, because I remember, I think I talked many years ago, I talked with uh, Tom Matthews about it. It was for Ron's death in a, uh, uh, Hawes' death in a part six. And I think Tom, like, uh, Tom Matthews told me that originally, like when Jason punches right through him, his heart comes out and lands on the ground. Like mm -hmm. it, that originally, like what was going to happen, but they, I don't assume the MPAA probably got on about it. Oh yeah, no, we got majorly, you know, attacked by the MPAA. We had uh, nine separate screenings of the movie, and each time they kept cutting it, you know, making me cut it down and cut it down. Um, we never lost any particular kill, but certainly a lot of frames kept coming out of them. So, you know, like when the policeman's head gets squashed, you know, you don't see the, you know, the skull snap open and a piece of brain matter come up, you know, like. The way we shot it or the triple decapitation you know you actually saw you know the the heads come off and hit the ground you know that was cut out 
Um, just a lot of stuff just was, you know, cut just way, way down. Um, it still was effective, but not as, as cool as it would have been if it had the whole thing in there. So uh, is that footage still around anywhere where it could ever possibly see the day of light? You know, that's the thing, Ed. It's like it's there somewhere in some box, someplace, you know, because you know, obviously we were shooting on film in those days. So everything was like little trims of film that you'd be cutting out and putting on a little spool and sticking in a box. So far, nobody has found where that is. But at one point when we were doing uh, one of the video versions that, of, that came out, uh, the DVD version, they uh, asked me about that footage. And I said, well, I do have an old VHS tape that had one of the cuts. I don't even remember which version it was, but that actually did have some of the scenes intact. Um, so I, you know, that's on that particular supplemental section of that Friday the 13th film and I don't even remember which which version it was now I think it's on a couple of them now um, but it, it, had, it you could see some of it in there not all of it did you keep any of the props from any of the movies like Friday yeah, I, I have Jason's coffin from the movie and also Jason's oh. tombstone which is the real tombstone um, I mean a real tombstone it's made of concrete and weighs you know about 50 tons you know, it takes like three people to carry the damn thing. It's so freaking heavy. Um, and um, yeah, that's it. I wanted one of the masks, but unfortunately, everybody grabbed those before we even finished the movie. Uh, you know, so uh -huh. I wasn't able to, you know, get a mask. But uh, yeah, it's, you know, have those two things. And was there any interesting kind of rap party after this uh, thing ended or anything interesting going after? Now the rap party sort of was we we shot the last scene, which was the motorhome scene where the the motorhome flies really? and crashes okay. and stuff. And that that if you look at the movie again, the shot where that kind of iconic shot of Jason standing on top of the motorhome with it on fire underneath him. If you look at the sky, it's just starting to you know light is just starting to come in there. Uh, so I mean we got it just before sunrise. And then we kind of went back to our motel when we, everybody kind of hung out together in the parking lot and we had some, you know, pizza and stuff. And that was basically the wrap party because everyone was dead tired <laughs> and had planes to catch, you know, the next day. So, you know, that we, we didn't have one of the kind of traditional, you know, wrap parties. So the, the last shot that you guys actually shot was him on top of the RV. That's it. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. That's an iconic shot. Yeah, I was one. I, I was like laughing about it earlier. I'm like, if they actually showed him getting off the RV, it would have been kind of funny. Like show, <laughs> show him like jumping down or something. Yeah, <laughs> that, would, that would take the scariness away though. Yeah. So, uh, out of a uh, from your experience, uh, what was your most uh, memorable scene to work on? Most memorable scene to work on was probably, believe it or not, exactly what we're talking about is the motorhome uh, sequence. Oh, yeah, Mainly because um, I had a kind of a good old boy uh, stuntman who was going to do that car crash or do the RV crash. And I wasn't sure if this guy could really pull it off. Our stunt coordinator that we had, Michael Nomad, felt like the guy could do it. But, you know, to me, you know, he, he showed up in like a uh, evil Knievel jumpsuit. And it's like, yeah, I'll crash it for you. I'll make it fly like a mother. You're going to be real excited when you see what I'm going to do. <laughs> and I thought, man, you know, if he gets killed, I, I just do not want that 
high brain, you know, and end the movie with a death, you know, and we've, you know, basically took the, you know, the RV and, and built it up with as much steel frames and everything so that it wouldn't collapse in on them and, uh, you know, did everything we could do to make it as safe as possible. And it really flew. I mean, it was amazing. He hit that ramp very fast and it went flying. And I was, you know, like down on my knees, like, please, you know, come out of that thing alive. And he did. And it was like, you know, thank you, God. Uh, but that, that was leading up to that, all the cameras that we had uh, on that particular thing, because we never knew exactly where it was going to go, how it was going to land. So there was a lot of tension and a lot of setup, you know, to get that that shot. And then the last image with the last thing that we shot to me is like one of my favorite, you know, images of the whole movie, that sort of iconic, you know, caveman on top of the dead dinosaur standing there, you know, triumphant, you know, beat, you know, beat the monster kind of, you know, feeling to it. Um, and a couple of people have made some posters of that image. And it's like, you know, that's my favorite thing about it. All right, we're going to take a quick break, but before we do, I would like to ask you two quick questions, and that is, what is your personal favorite horror film, and what are some of your favorite modern horror films? Uh, personal favorite movie still remains The Exorcist. Uh, I was fortunate to see it like about three days into its release with an audience, and I've never experienced anything like that you know, before or since, where an audience was not scared, but traumatized. I mean, people fainting, people throwing up, people running up the aisles in fear. Uh, you know, they uh, freaking and Blatty had an ambulance out front, you know, so already when yeah. you walked to the theater, you were terrified that you could be in that ambulance. I mean, it, it just had all the elements that just really worked. And I studied that movie like crazy after I saw it. I, you know, went and saw it again and again. and any articles on it, anything I could learn about how they did that, because it, it was a real experience more than just a movie. It, it just really, really, to me, was something, I don't know if we could ever, you know, come up with something again in, in the horror world that would have that kind of impact that The Exorcist had and how much it got away with, um, that, you know, <laughs> that still got an R rating, which is incredible. In terms oh, yeah, of, you sure. know, present day horror movies, there's been, you know, a lot of things that, you know, I've loved over the years. I love Sixth Sense. I just thought that really nailed, you know, something that where you cared about the characters and it, and it really, really worked. Um, you know, I, I thought that the um, uh, paranormal series, because they were doing something again that hadn't been done before, you know, using that sort of, you know, surveillance camera look and having the horror happen, you know, with us just watching from a you know bird's eye perspective and the sound effects and everything made people jump uh which i thought was amazing um you know a lot of the stuff that uh that, you know that comes through blumhouse uh the conjuring movies and things uh, to me are Love really it. enjoyable there's a lot of stuff that i go you know that's that's really some cool ideas and some cool execution and uh what was the other one that's recently uh, it follows I thought had a, oh, a great great. thing about it um, that was very much a throwback to the 80s horror movies, but with this kind of new idea about, you know, have sex and die in a different way. So, yeah, there, there's been so many of them, but I don't think there's been like one that I just went like, that's it. You know, this is this is the ultimate like The Exorcist had uh, affected me.
Yeah, actually, if you love The Exorcist, um, they just released on Shudder this thing called Cursed Films, which is a five-part documentary series. And the yes, first I saw that. Is, oh, you did, did? You watched it? I, I just watched that, it the other day. Yeah. Uh, amazing. I, did, I yeah. think they just did one on the on uh, uh, the other movie. Um, They're doing both the guys. Oh, they yeah. The Omen came out, yeah. Yeah, yeah they did one on The Omen, I think, that just, just came out. So, yeah, I'm definitely watching those things. Shudder is... Freaking amazing how how many Shutter great Rock. things you can see on Shutter. Yeah, and it seems like they're really trying to expand how much they're putting on there because before it was like they didn't have too much, but now they're now they're creating new stuff. All right, cool. So we're gonna take a break and then we're gonna come back with some fan questions.
And we're back. How was your break? <laughs> Love that All song. Right. Uh, Alice yeah, uh, really did a, 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 a great thing, you know, creating that. We finally have a song that goes with Jason. Yeah, perfect artist. Yeah, it's um, interesting. It's interesting, too, because he did three versions. Um, you know, the, the first one was, you know, kind of just simple to get the sort of song out there for us to hear. And then he did a, like, just kind of go straight on hard rock version of this. And, you know, which I thought was really great and wanted to go with that. And then they, I don't know if it was the record, I think it was his record label decided it needed to have a more of an 80s vibe with that synth kind of sound to it. So they yeah. did it again and kind of changed the pace of it a little bit. Um, so that's the, you know, the final version, you know, which is great, but, you know, being an old school rocker, I, you know, kind of really gravitated to that second version with just the hard, hard rock approach. All right. Well, we got some fan questions for you. We've got a couple if you're interested. Uh, let's see what we got here. Jeremy Moorhead wanted to know, I know you penned a new Friday the 13th screenplay that you you hope to make after all the legal bullshit is over. What can you tell us about your new story and have you had any conversations with the studio about making the script a reality? Yeah, I, as I said earlier, um, you know, I wrote this finally because I had a number of ideas that sort of kind of came together for it that I felt nobody had done yet. And that uh, I always kind of approach these things from the standpoint of I'm, sitting in the theater and have come with expectations about what the movie is going to be, particularly a genre movie like a Friday the 13th. I want to make sure it's something that I'd want to see, you know, myself. So I put as many elements in there as I could that uh, felt like they hadn't been done or hadn't been done quite like this before. Uh, so I wrote the screenplay and yes, there's a lawsuit that's been going on going on now for nine years between Sean Cunningham, who is the uh, director of the original one and, you know, producer on all the other ones, um, and Victor Miller, who was the writer of the original Friday the 13th. And this uh, all kind of stemmed from the fact after, you know, 35 years, the rights to uh, material can go back to the original writer. So, uh, you know, basically Victor had that advantage of saying, okay, I wanna be part of the whole future now of Friday the 13th. Sean did not want that to happen. He felt he was a, a writer for hire. So they get into a legal battle, which as I mentioned is going on now for almost nine years. and. Uh, what eventually happened was that the judge uh, decreed that uh, Victor Miller has the rights to remake Friday the 13th and the title Friday the 13th, but he doesn't have the rights to Jason. Uh, and, you know, Sean does, but Sean can't use the title Friday the 13th. So basically, you know, uh, Sean was going to appeal that verdict. And that was in that time frame that I wrote the movie and figured, you know, maybe the appeal won't happen, but it did. So as soon as I gave my script out to my lawyer to start to, you know, take put out there, um, the first place that had to go was to uh, Warner Brothers and uh, New Line, who own the rights, uh, or not own the rights, but they, they, they would be the ones that would just do the distribution of the film. And they said, we can't even read it. You know, anything that has to do with this movie or Jason until all this stuff is settled, you know, we don't, 
we don't even want to get into it. So it's kind of stopped me cold and I have to now wait for that thing to resolve. Uh, and who knows how long that's going to happen. There was rumors that this summer it was going to wrap up, but now with obviously what we're going through with the whole business on, on you know, shutdown, that yeah. delays everything and all, all things and court cases, everything is delayed. So I don't know when that's going to happen. But in terms of the story, um, yeah, I, I wanted to basically pick up where I left off with Jason, you know, down in the lake. Um, it's 13 years later. Uh, so it's set in 1999, which is right on the cusp of when everything was going to change in the year 2000. And uh, a lot of us at that time thought, you know, all the computers were going to shut down. The whole world was going to fall apart. You know, there was this whole sort of anxiety that was kind of going through 1999. And I don't really deal with that in the movie, but it is brought up at one point by two of the characters about how their parents are freaking out over this stupid, you know, turn of the, uh, into a new uh, century. Um, but I thought it was sort of an ominous, you know, thing to put in there. Plus being 13 years later and being in the late 90s, there still would be a lot of that holdover from the 80s, you know, whenever whatever styles come up in one particular decade, it usually, you know, crosses over into the other uh, before everything changes too much. So it will still have that sort of period, you know, um, feeling to it. And then I wanted to set it basically in the wintertime um, and make it so that, you know, we are seeing Jason, you know, coming up this time through Crystal Lake, you know, through the ice. Uh, and that there's going to actually be a, you know, chase of a victim on Crystal Lake, on the ice of Crystal Lake. So there's things that, you know, we haven't seen before. And there's the whole way that uh, these people are trapped there um, and can't get out, you know, is a little bit different than the way this has been, you know, done before. And I made it because of the type of story it is. It's an all-female cast, um, a bunch of different ages, but everybody that's involved with it is is female except jason so that again is something that uh you know i thought could make it kind of interesting these women fighting back but it has absolutely nothing to do with you know uh kind of today's thing of you know having women in power it just that they were kind of forced into the situation of having to defend themselves and try to stop this person or thing whatever it is they have no idea that you know there's no reference to the, the mythology of Jason or anything as there was in my Jason Lives. And I've tried to come come up with some, you know, kills and things that kind of are, could only happen if it was in a, f a frozen world uh, where the thing is set, as well as some, you know, some different twists on other things that have been done before, but not done quite like this. So uh, I think there's a, enough stuff that people, you know, who want to see a, a, a Friday in the kind of classic tradition of a Friday the 13th, you know, will enjoy. That's good. You got to keep it fresh. Definitely. You got to knock some sense in them. I want to see this movie. Definitely. I mean, the last thing you need is, you know, Jason without a hockey mask. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, you need a Jason with a hockey Because, I mean, they can't do it. One, the one guy owns the rights to the mask and the other guy can make a movie, but he can't use the mask, right? Yeah, and I mean, I think all Victor can actually do is remake the original, uh, yeah. go back and do another one with the mother and all that. I don't think, well, like, yeah, because I don't know what you would do if you get on own Jason, you know, what, what would you yeah. do as, as, as another Friday the 13th? 
you know, people are going to want to see, see Jason. So it's a, you know, it's, it's a well, tough I mean, one. Unless, and, yeah. unless you want to run around guys. with like a potato sack. On the again. <laughs> well, I mean, I think all we can really hope at this point is maybe uh, Victor Miller and um, Sean Cunningham will make a negotiation. Honestly, the fans have been waiting what, 11 years for another film. So yeah. 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 And the fans are being very resourceful and going out and, you know, putting their own money into these fan funded movies. So there's probably about eight or nine or maybe more of these movies that are out now that you can see on YouTube and they, they can't take a profit from them or they would get, you know, a lawsuit from, you know, either Paramount or, or Warner brothers or new line. Um, and if they, you know, as, as vengeance did the movie that, you know, I was uh, involved with, you know, they took all the money that they needed just just to make the movie, you know, and then everything else that was extra goes to the Children's Hospital up in Seattle. So they, you know, are actually doing something kind of, you know, good with the additional monies that, that has come in for that. Um, and I'm guessing a lot of the other films are having to do the same thing because you really can't profit off of, you know, somebody else's copywritten material. Definitely. Yeah, we actually, we snuck into Friday the 13th, the remake. We were both <laughs> under 18, and they didn't catch us. <laughs> yeah, it was a, we went to go see, what was it, Street Fighter? Oh, it was we, Street Fighter. Well, we yeah. saw Street, yeah, we actually, we paid to see Street Fighter, saw Street Fighter, and then went and made it a double with Friday the 13th. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, That's we, great. we used to do that all the time. We got caught once. Just <laughs> one. <laughs> um, okay, we got like two more fan questions. This is uh, another friend of mine, Robert Patterson. He wants to know the location of Jason's gravesite, and I know that they filmed that in a different area than the actual graveyard. Correct. Yeah, um, we we looked all over. We, we were in Covington, Georgia, which is about forty-five minutes outside of Atlanta, and uh, you know we were trying to find things that were close to the camp because that was that was the main location that we needed was the campground, and uh, that was located in Covington. So, you know, we looked at all the cemeteries and there was, you know, that one that we used in the, the daytime thing where there's the chase of Tommy by the sheriff and the deputy, um, but they wouldn't give us permission to, to shoot there at night. And they, it never had kind of what the atmosphere, what I wanted the opening of the picture to have. So our production designer actually went out into a field that had sort of levels on on it and you know created this whole cemetery i can't tell you at all where it was because i arrived there in the dark you know i left in the dark i had nothing to you know tells me where where exactly it was uh, i think fans have gone out kind of looking for it but i you know i don't know how you you know everything was kind of taken down after we shot there but, you know, he did an amazing job uh, kind of locating it next to that kind of ominous tree that the, that the yeah. tombstone's next to and then built all the, the fences and all the things that, you know, kind of give it, it its look. Um, but, yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's anybody's guess where that is. Oh, that whole scene is absolutely beautiful. So. Uh, Michael Epstein wants to know, would you, would love to know about balancing the existing Jason mythology with moving it forward, especially given that at that point he's basically officially undead. Uh, can you say that again? I, I didn't yeah. hear that clearly. Oh, sorry. Would love to know about balancing the existing Jason mythology with moving it forward, especially given that 
at that point, he's basically officially undead. So what did I do to move it forward? Oh, hang on. I'm sorry. Yeah, no worries. Uh, so Michael Epstein is asking, he would love to know about balancing the existing Jason mythology with moving it forward, especially given that at that point, he's basically officially undead. Okay, so balancing the mythology of what we knew yeah. up to then, um, and then to obviously the new thing now that he's been reanimated. Um, yeah, I, as I said earlier, I went back and kind of looked at um, everything, um, all the kills, all the mythology that I could learn from the film and from the films, previous films. A lot of things didn't really make sense. You know, there was a lot of stuff where, you know, he was the boy Jason in one and then suddenly on the, you know, part two, he was grown up and he's got a, you know, sack over his head. And um, there's just there was a lot of little things that, you know, didn't really track if you were trying to you know figure it out. The fans over the years have kind of made these things kind of work and with a bunch of different theories and things. Fan theories, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, and, you know, when you're making movies, Lots of times somebody says, you know, oh, we don't care about what they did in the last one. We're going to do this. Or if you notice each um, movie, the mask is a little bit different because each uh, prop person designs it a little bit, you know, gives it a little style. So they feel like that kind of they can put their own identity, you know, in it. Um, and so there was a lot of things that I had to just go, all right, I'm going to kind of pick up where part four left off. And... Um, not totally disregard part five. I did say that Tommy is coming from some institution, but really didn't get into anything that, that happened in part five. I really left it from the time he was uh, theoretically killed and then you know buried and then pick it up with Tommy having to be sure that he's actually in that grave and not you know wandering around someplace. So the, the mythology for me was was really getting back to the, you know, the boy that drowned and the mother that was, you know, decapitated and that, you know, he saw that and now he's, you know, venging his mother's death. Um, when I introduced Jason's father, you saw him as this completely evil, almost Svengali type, you know, individual that you could totally believe that was Jason's father. Um, so that gave, him a little more of a sense of being pure evil because the mother really wasn't evil she just kind of lost it um over the years um and had to raise this boy uh that was always being made fun of and things so she was very obviously defensive about you know and, and protective of her son so those elements remained um and then it, it really was just the the kids the the, the camp counselors talking about all the different theories about Jason and, and sort of making it into like a ghost story as opposed to anything that they truly believed. And Tommy had the, the problem of trying to convince people that he was back, you know, that and even though the town had changed their name to Forest Green, trying to, you know, get people to stop looking at it as this place where this killer, you know, took the lives of so many people. So that's, you know, pretty much just the way I went into it. And then from that point on, you know, Jason is now just unstoppable. And uh, I think most of the movies kind of have, uh, you know, kind of embraced that thing that no matter what you do to him, he keeps coming back. Oh, I mean, 
that's the thing. Like, well, that's we like that concept of how some way, one way or another, either if it's through electricity or, um, like you know, being accidentally brought back by his uh fairy type character from um new blood. Like, no matter what, he's always going to come back somehow. Like, well, because like that's the thing. It's become such an enjoyable franchise. It's loved by fans all over the world, and we definitely want to. And we hope to see another film, hopefully within the next couple of years or so. And by you, yeah. I want to, I want to see your version more than any of the other ones they're talking about. So yeah. Well, I, yeah, I hope so. I mean, I have no idea once all the smoke clears and stuff, you know, what the studio is going to do. And I've had so many people say, well, just let's just make it yourself, you know, do it as a fan funded thing. And um, I said, you know, I would, if I could, you know, raise enough money to make it because my particular film is, is really much more costly than most of the, low budget um, fan films uh, because of the the type of film that it would be and the need to build sets and some of the uh, the opening sequences like nothing you've ever seen before in a Friday the 13th. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I don't want to spoil what it is, but I mean, it's 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 a big, expensive type sequence. So I, I'm sort of like either you do this and spend the money to make it work, which usually means studios, you know, you know, collaborating to, to raise the money um, or independent, you know, funding of some sort, you know, to get it made. But, um, you know, I just wanted this to have a lot of stuff that that really was fresh and hopefully very cool to see. But who knows, you know, what they're going to decide once uh, all of this gets resolved. I'm, I'm certainly putting it out there that I have something that I think I know for sure that the, the fans are going to love. And I think you know, if you're not, you know, a horror freak, it still will be a you know a fun thrill ride of a movie. Not for sure. And your your writing is extraordinary too. I mean, even if you didn't direct it, and the, the writing would carry it for sure. Um, but what's next for Tom McLaughlin? Well, other than waiting on that to happen and waiting on the world to, you know, cure this virus. Okay. Um, I've been, you know, writing. Uh, I have like actually two new horror scripts that I'm working on. Uh, one is close to finish, the other and I'm still, you know, collaborating with myself. <laughs> you know, I don't like this. No, it is, that's good. You know, and that, that back and forth that happens as a writer, trying to make something that is new, you know, um, feel like it, it's, it's, a, it's a horror movie worth going to see. Um, I have a kind of a, a fantasy a comedy um, as well that I'm, that I'm writing. Uh, the band, of course, keeps going. The, you know, we, we had a tour of Texas that was all set to go in mid-March, and then this happened, and it, you know, killed the tour. But I think once all this uh, calms down and we can all gather again in clubs and venues and things, we'll, you know, the band will be back out there playing. Yeah, we can't even get together to rehearse or, you know, write new songs right now. It's... Uh, you know, really frustrating that if you're supposed to be no more than two people together, six, six feet apart. Um, so, I mean, maybe we'll eventually get frustrated and at least start doing this as a, you know, as a Zoom, you know, uh, visit on one another's places and try to see if we can write something that way. Uh, but the band, we've got some new songs. We have one that just came out uh, through Burger Records uh, called Follow Me. Um, that I believe it's on Spotify and I think iTunes 
and well it's on the the burger um, label um, you know, on, on their website and then you know people can kind of keep up with the exploits of the sloss on the sloss.org uh, that you know kind of keeps keeps kind of up to date what whatever we're doing or in this case not doing at the moment and then uh, I'm continuing to teach out at uh, Chapman University Dodge College a you know series of filmmaking courses on directing visual storytelling and producing which I have to teach now online since the, the shutdown um, but I love working with young up-and-coming filmmakers and seeing the stuff that they come up with it's to me it's so exciting to give them you know an assignment and see what they come back with and the fact that they're so restricted right now that they can only shoot these little films uh, that they're making now with their cell cameras edited on some program that they have on their laptop and shoot it in their house with their parents or their brothers and sisters the fact that some of them come up with some really amazing different types of stuff whether it's stop motion animation or you know uh animatics that they create or just you know things where they set up the camera and go in front of it do whatever you're going to do shut off the camera and edit it together um uh, you know that's been a real uh exciting thing to see what they what they do with the assignments so that's you know pretty much everything that you know is going on at the at the moment with me now can your fans find you on social media anywhere Yes, on uh, Facebook. Uh, it's under Tommy McLaughlin on Facebook. You can you can find me there. Um, and then if you just go on YouTube and put me in there, there's a lot of different, you know, interviews and obviously the sloths are on there um, and um, a lot of different crazy things that that kind of have appeared there that I've been involved with over the years. And the one the one thing that is particularly unique, I think, if you want to check it out is that there's one called um, Legends Never Die uh, Hollywood Forever. And it was something that was created for uh, a supplemental uh, additional thing for one of the Friday the 13th uh, compilations. Um, and it's about how I wrote the movie. You know, we do it from the cemetery and also what my plans are after I have you know, moved on, you know, and been buried in that uh, or entombed in that mausoleum, what my plans are for the afterlife. So, uh, you know, that's on YouTube. Uh, Legends Never Die. So you can certainly check that out and see the other weird side of me. That sounds fantastic. Well, we want to thank you so much for being with us today. This is amazing. It's our very first episode. So we really appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, I'm honored to be the first one. So thank you. <laughs> Hope it went well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Look forward great. to seeing you. We look forward to seeing you in this whole, all, all the whole virus clears as well. Yeah. Yeah, we will. Definitely. We will survive. Yes, we will. All right. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. And we're going to end on Teenage Frankenstein.
face. Got 